morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I don't have to introduce myself. I think you guys know who I am. But if you don't, my name is Denise, and I am a part of this house. And it's been a pleasure to be here for 11, 12, Desiree, how many years? I have no idea. But 12. But it's amazing to be before you guys in this series. If you have not been here with us the past couple of weeks, we've been in a series called More. We've had two parts. Our first part was Robert teaching us how to give more. Last week, we had Melvin teaching us how to save more. And I was a little apprehensive when Pastor Will asked me to give a message about money because why couldn't he give me something that would bring some amens and people like to talk about because money makes us a little weary, right? We don't like to talk about money, especially not in a church setting, but even outside of church, we don't tell people how much we make, how much we have, what we don't have because we feel really personal about our money. But in this series, he said, you're going to get the earn more part. And I was like, oh, all right. I want to earn more. I want to I teach people how to earn more. Let's get this money. And I almost titled this message, Mo Money, Mo Problems. But then I would reveal my age and I may get in trouble. So don't tell anyone I said that. Um, and, you know, as I was looking through the Bible and I was like, okay, well, the Bible talks about money. What does it really say? I realized that the Bible mentions money over 2,000 times. So maybe it's important, right? So if the Bible mentions money over 2,000 times and we show pray about money more than 2,000 times, then maybe the church should speak on money. So I want to take this time without further ado before another word comes out of my mouth because y'all know I could go um, and just pray so that it's not me and it is God bringing the word this morning. Would you guys pray with me? God, we come before you this morning humbly, surrendering of ourselves, Father, surrendering of all preconceived notions, Father, of all distractions in this place. I ask your spirit to roam free, Lord, to quiet down this place so that we can open up our spiritual ears, Father, to be able to hear the words that will edify our lives, Father, and will take us to your more. I am believing that your spirit will transform in this place. I am believing that you are doing a new thing. I am believing that every word that comes out of your mouth will set out to do it exactly what you called it to do and shall not return to the heavens empty. I am declaring a breakthrough in New Vision Church this morning. Remove everything that is of Denise in this altar, Father, and let it be only your word and only your spirit that comes out of my mouth. In your heavenly name, I pray. Amen. Amen. So we were talking about earning more, saving more, giving more. And this concept comes from John Wesley. He started the Methodist movement, and he was teaching people how to be free in God and really started a revival in the church. And the people that came to the movement after learning the principles of more were a hundred times more wealthy. So I was like, okay, I want to be a hundred times more wealthy. How do I do that? And we're going to be looking at some things in the Bible that teach us what God really thinks about money. But the first thing is that we have to understand that more means different things to different people, right? Because the more is wherever area in your life that you lack. 
If you already have it, you might not need more of it. But if you don't have it, you need a whole lot of it. So the more could be different things to different people. And throughout my time at church, I felt like I was being taught that having money was bad. Like, for in order for you to be humble, you need to not have a lot. And if you have a lot, then you're greedy. And I think that's, that's a misconception that we've had for way too long. And we're going to tackle that this morning. And I know that we talk about the Bible verse that says that the love of money is the root of all evil. And that's what we base it on. But I want to just... Break that from your minds this morning because that's talking about the love of money, the idolatry of money, money being the source that is the root of all evil. But money, in fact, is good. Not only is it good, it's necessary because that's how we keep these doors open, the AC on, the lights on. That's how you keep food in your house. So money is something that God implemented. It's something that belongs to God, and it is something that is good. So if we're going to talk about money, we have to talk about work because that's kind of how we get money, right? So I'm going to ask you guys a question, and it is not rhetorical. I really want you to answer me. What do you do for work? What? Okay, okay. This is not rhetorical. I really want you to answer me. What do you do for work? Out loud. Real estate. I didn't hear you. Oh, you postman. Sales. Doctor, who's a doctor? Oh, <laughs> a lawyer. So everyone has a different way for which they get their money, right? We all work at different places. We all have different bosses, but we have one thing in common. We're going to look at Colossians 3, 23 and 24. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, this is the Lord Christ you are serving. So based on this verse right here, no matter what we do, no matter where we work, we are to work for the Lord. So the first point I want you to take a note of, if you're taking note, is that one, God calls us to work and he is our boss. So no matter what we do, if we look at our jobs like, okay, God is my boss and whatever area of work that I'm in, I have to work at it as if it is from God, then maybe we take work a little more seriously. Let's look at another verse in Psalms 24, 1 and 2. It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. So another point before we get into the real topic of earning more is that everything that is on this earth, including you and me, was created by God and for God. Amen? So what is the real reason then that we cannot earn more? What is stopping us from getting to the more that God has? Is it that God doesn't want to give us the more? Is it that we just can't find it? Is it not for everyone? And the thing is that we don't have a money problem. We have a heart problem. It's the condition of our hearts. And maybe God doesn't give you the extra money because he'll lose you if he'll give it to you. Maybe God doesn't give you the extra money because you're not going to do what God called you to do with it. So how do we prevent this heart problem so that we can get the more? 
<laughs> Point number two, I want you to caution coveting. What is coveting? I know Melvin last week talked about coveting. It is one of the commandments. It's desiring something that is not yours, right? But this is the, the definition. To covet is to desire what belongs to another inordinately and culpably. To feel inordinate desires for what belongs to another. And this is different than hating, right? Because when you hate on someone, you're mad that they got it and you think that you should get it. But sometimes when you covet something, you're not even mad that they got it. You're just in a state where you're asking God, okay, God, but what about me? When is it my turn? Okay, God, everybody around me is getting married. I'm not mad that they're getting married. I don't even want their husband, but what about me? God, everybody around me is having kids. And I don't want their kids because their kids, no, I don't want their kids, but I want my own. What about me? And as we look at this coveting, we're going to look at one of the people in the Bible, a man that is said that is after God's own heart. But I want to lay the foundation for you guys about David. So I'm going to give you a little timeline of his life so you know who he is and what God has done, right? Excuse my art, I am not lowly. But, um, on the bottom, it says 11 to 13. So we meet David around 11 to 13 years of age, right? This is when he is anointed to be king. Then we don't hear about him again until he's like 17. And this is when we hear about him when he is fighting off Goliath. You guys remember that? And then in his 20s, he, he is this mighty, mighty warrior. But it isn't until he turns 30 that he becomes the king of the tribe of Judah. So he is anointed to be king somewhere around 11 or 13, and all of these years pass by, and it's not until 30 that it comes to fruition, right? And how many of us are waiting on a promise of God, and we're looking around like, okay, God, but you said, but you said, but you said. And sometimes we stray from this path waiting on the promise to come true. At 37, he becomes the king of all of Israel. That means the 12 tribes. And he is escalating, escalating as God takes him from victory to victory. But something changes at age 49. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to go to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 11. And it says, In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war... David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege on the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. So everything is going right for David, but this day, David decided not to go to work. Number two. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking around the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath, a.k.a. she was naked. Number three, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanliness. Then she went back home. David called her an Uber. Number five. Later, Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant and sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. All right, so let's take it back from the beginning. Let's rewind it. Number one. 
David decided today I'm not going to go to work. You guys go to war. You guys got it. I know the kings normally go. But you know what? I've been fighting all my life. I've already done enough in the Lord. It's somebody else's turn to go do the work. All right? Number two, he woke up late in the afternoon. He had nothing to do, so he was strolling around his palace instead of doing the work that he was supposed to do. And number three, we see that he saw the girl, and he asked, hey, who is that? And someone told him, she is Bathsheba. They called her by name. Why would you call someone by name? Okay, she is the daughter of Iliam. If he didn't know Iliam, then why even mention him? And she is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. If he didn't know Uriah, why even, what does it matter? Right? So this kind of signifies that David had an idea of who she was. And number four, we see that it didn't matter. He said, go get her. Then he called her an Uber. And then she sent a message. She didn't go back to the palace knocking. She sent him a message, say, hey, tell that guy I'm pregnant. We fast forward the story, and David was like, okay, now there's evidence of what I did because now there's a baby, so how do I cover it up? He sent Uriah to come back from the war, to come back, and he was like, hey, look, eat, drink. Long story short, he got him drunk, and that was like, oh, go home. Enjoy life. Go sleep with your wife. Why? Because if Uriah sleeps with his wife and then she's pregnant, then it's Uriah's baby. Ta-da! No sin was committed, except that Uriah did not go home. Because when the Ark of the Covenant is at war, you do not enjoy in the pleasures of life. And Uriah knew that. So he did not go home. Now David has a bigger problem because now I slept with her and now she's pregnant. Now this man won't go sleep with her. So what do I do? He sent him back into the war in the front lines and made sure he died at war. The guy dies at war. Oh my God, poor widow. I would just take her in, her and her baby. David is now the hero, except that God sees all things, right? And, and it's not that David did not have other options. David already had six wives. David had six wives and other concubines. And you may be like, okay, well, you know, in that time, people had a lot of wives, especially kings. But David knew the 10th commandment to not covet. David also knew the word of the Lord in Deuteronomy 17, 17, that says, a king must not take many wives for himself because they will turn his heart away for the Lord. And he must not accumulate large amounts of wealth in silver and gold for himself. So even though it was okay in the culture, even though he wasn't doing anything out of the ordinary in the culture, it doesn't mean that it's pleasing to God. In the same manner that there may be things that may be normalized in this culture, there may be things that may be even legal in this culture, but it doesn't mean that it is not pleasing to God. David knew the 10th commandment. And God knew David's heart. But see, what happens here is that throughout David's life, as he was rising, he had Samuel around him. God had a prophet that he had around him, someone that would hold him accountable, someone that kept him in line, but Samuel had died. And this is why me and you, we need to have real friends. 
friends that will tell us the truth, friends that will keep us in line. I don't know about you, but my sister and I have this thing going where if we don't want to go to work, we kind of tell each other, like, hey, I'm thinking about calling out tomorrow. Here are all of my reasons. Bam, 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 bam. And then sometimes we don't even have to answer each other. And we're like, all right, I'm going to work. Right? So you have to have an accountability partner, someone that will tell you the truth even when you don't like it. God knew that, and God is so gracious that even though there was no Samuel, God said, but there is a Nathan. And there was a Nathan in David's life that knew everything that was going on. But I want to explain to you the treachery that was going on, like the levels, the levels that David was on, right? We saw that in verse 3, they were talking about, okay, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of this, the wife of that, whatever, whatever. I don't know about you, but when I'm reading names in the Bible, I kind of skip it. Skip it, because most of the time I can't pronounce it, and who cares? But this time it mattered, and I'm going to show you why. I have a chart that is also not cloudy, but it's going to do. We have David. David had six wives, right? David also had men that fought for him. There was a man named Ahithophel. Ahithophel was the number one advisor for David. God ordered Ahithophel to be the advisor of David. This is how David know whether to go out to war or not because God's not going to send you unless you're going to win. But you got to listen to know if you should go, right? So there is Ahithophel. Ahithophel had a son. Ahithophel's son's name is Iliam. Iliam had a daughter. Iliam's daughter's name is Bathsheba. Bathsheba was then married to Uriah. Ahithophel is the advisor. Iliam and Uriah are part of the 37 mighty men of David's army. So you knew her. But why was she of unusual beauty this time? First of all, because you had nothing to do. So you had nothing to do but look around. And number two, when she, when you became king, she was only two. David became king, and she was two. At this time, David is 47, and Bathsheba is only 21. So, yes, she looks a little different than when she was two. But how could he see her? He could see her because she lived close, because she was close, because she was almost family. You don't live close to the palace unless you're almost family. So that is the level of treachery. So you may say, okay, well, David just decided not to go to work. He made a simple mistake. He was at the wrong place at the wrong time. But you can't be at the wrong place at the wrong time unless you're first at the wrong place. He decided not to go to work. And that affected more than just himself. It affected him and it affected this whole circle of friends and it affected a whole family. But God sent Nathan. God sent Nathan to David, and he sent him in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And he said, then Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord of, the, of God, the God of Israel says. I anointed you over Israel. I delivered you from the hands of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all of Israel and Judah and if all of this had been too little, I would have given you even more. So it's not that God has a problem with more. 
It's not that God has a problem with giving us more. It's we have a problem with handling more. The moment we have more, we want to step out of line. And God will give us more as long as we stay aligned to the parameters of his values. And the parameters of his values is that you're not going to cheat for it, that you're not going to steal from it, that you're not going to sacrifice your family's time from it, that you're not going to sacrifice the time of your kids for it, that you're not going to sacrifice the time to worship God in this place for it, that you're not going to steal God's tithes for it. So if you do not compromise his values, then he will give you more. But if you compromise his values, then obviously you can't handle the more. So that is where we have a problem. It's not that God won't give us more. It's that we can't handle the more. The problem is that we covet. And covet, coveting makes you stare at what you do not have. It doesn't matter what you already have. Coveting makes you focus on the one thing you don't. It doesn't matter what God has blessed you with throughout the years. You focus on the one thing that God has not given you, and it looks like he's giving everything else. The problem is that we have social media, and we have people faking their lives, and we're believing it even though we know they're faking their lives. The problem is that we want that car. We want that house. I want those abs, but you know I can't stop eating. So it's just like we want it. We want it. Okay, I'm healthy. Okay, I have this. Okay, I have that. But, gosh, she got abs. Like, man, if I could just put this donut down. But it's so good. You know, it's so hard for us not to covet. It's so hard for us not to covet. In 2 Samuel 12, we continue. Did we do? Oh, okay. God said through Nathan, why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. In 10, God says, now therefore the sword will never depart from your house because you despise me and you took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. So you see, it wasn't just a simple mistake of not going to work. It wasn't just a simple mistake of, you know, things happen. I don't even know how we ended up here. We kind of committed adultery. She kind of ended up pregnant. I kind of covered it up. I kind of got this man killed. And the kindest and kindest and kindest will consume our lives the moment we step out of the values of God. So... We're thinking, okay, so God does want to give me more. All I have to do is keep his values. Okay, if I keep his values, God will give me more. Yes, but if you don't stop staring at what you have, you're going to be discontent. And that discontentment is going to take over your life. And that discontentment is going to make you miserable. And that misery is going to force you to have ideas that are stupid to begin with, but you're so miserable that you don't notice that it's a stupid idea. Right? So how do we avoid this discontentment, this misery? How do we stop focusing on what we don't have? That leads me to my point number three, which is you encourage contentment. Simple enough. You keep your eyes off of social media. You got to delete the app like my sister. You got to do whatever you do to keep your eyes away from whatever it is that you don't have and focus on what you do have. Contentment makes you focus on what you do have. So maybe you're like, okay, well, her husband is better than mine because her husband sends her flowers every Friday and I don't even get nothing. Focus on what you do have. Think about the little things because for some reason this is your husband unless you're just crazy. And if you're crazy, then probably you're both crazy and that's why you match. 
You encourage contentment. You focus on what you do have. It doesn't matter what you don't because God has already given you everything that you need for your season at your moment. You imagine David out at war trying to wear a crown that belongs to someone else because God anointed me to be king, focusing on it, whether his crown is falling off versus focus on the war. What God said is for you is already for you. Maybe it's not your time. Maybe Maybe you're not keeping his values to get it, so God's not giving it to you because he don't want to lose you because you can't sustain what is for you yet. So encourage contentment. And whatever it is, whether it be your husband, whether it be your kids, whatever it is, it's yours and is yours to manage. We don't have a money problem. We have a, pro a heart problem, but we also have a stewardship problem. We can't handle what we have in our hands right now, but we want more. Like the little kids that aren't finished their food and are asking for more food. Like, no, finish your food. Right? And we're like that. We're like that. We didn't finish our plate, but we want dessert. That's totally me. I eat dessert first. Do not judge me. Right? And I don't know about you, but sometimes we get so wrapped up in what everyone else is doing. And sometimes we feel the pressures from our parents, from outside people. My mom is one of 13. Out of those 13, nine are girls. And all nine girls have grandchildren except my mother. So she's constantly on Facebook looking at somebody's grandchild and what they're playing with their grandchild and putting, well, the pressure's off me now that my sister got married. The pressure's over there. But she's constantly like, okay, what about me? I'm going to die without grandchildren, blah, 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 all the pressures, right? But two weekends ago, I had the pleasure, let's say pleasure, of babysitting my three favorite kids in the world. You may see them. They're the pastor's kids. And they are my favorite children. Like, I love these kids so much that I fear that when I have my own, I'm not going to love them that much. Like, that's how much I love these kids, right? And I've babysat them time and time again, but never overnight. So this time, I got them Friday night, Saturday night, all the way to Sunday. And they behaved, like, for them. They behaved, but they drove me nuts. Like, there was no break. And it's like, okay, you brush your teeth. Now you sit down. Don't touch this. Okay, I got to feed you. Okay, now you have to take a bath. Okay, now we have to play because you guys are never tired. And when they left... I enjoyed my peace. I was like, wow, okay, this is what it feels like to have peace and quiet. And ever since, I've been praying for you moms because I didn't realize how hard that was. Jesus, God bless you. God bless your soul. I've been praying for you. It is hard. I am now content temporarily with not having kids. Wow, it's hard. I just up and go and do whatever I want. So whatever it is that you do have is yours. And the Lord has given it to you for you to manage, for you to manage in this season. So I just want to say to you guys this morning as, as I conclude in this message that as we talk about saving more and earning more and giving more, that you truly focus on what you are, you're not doing. What has God called you to do? What has he put in your hands to manage? Are you showing up for work every day? And I don't even mean work in the physical sense. See, David did not go to war. And how many of us are not waking up to go to war for our families? How many of us are not getting on our knees, interceding for our marriages? How many of us are not waking up to war against the enemy to intercede for our children and for our future? 
See, I don't know if you had not had to break generational curses on your own because you had a grandma or a great-grandma that did it for you, so you've lived in God's glory, but that is not my life. That is not my life, and I wake up every day to wage war against the enemy because I am declaring that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I am declaring that my children will not have to go through the things that I had to go through. I am declaring that the generations to come, the generations to come will serve God and will change atmosphere the moment they walk in the room. I am declaring the more over them. But if I decide tomorrow not to wake up and not to go to war for the kids, the war is going to happen without me like it happened without David. So I ask you, New Vision, what are you going to do? Are you going to wake up? Are you going to get the more? Are you going to fight for your children? What are you willing to do? Because we cannot do it for you. I ask you this morning, do you have the character to sustain the more? Before you continue to keep praying to God, give me more, give me bigger, give me nicer. Ask yourself why, for whom, how would this affect the kingdom, how would this affect the generations to come. Be on your feet. Today I want to motivate you. And I want to encourage contentment in this place. I want the contentment to start in this place today. So if you have a family member in this place, I ask you to hold on to that family member. Because sometimes it's the people closest to us that we take for granted. Because sometimes we forget what we're fighting for. Because sometimes we forget that it is our job to wake up every morning and wage war for our blessings. as we conclude this series if you're asking yourself why am I stuck why am I not moving why are my finances not enough I ask you to evaluate yourselves are you living within the values within the parameters of the values that God has set up I ask you if you're asking why can't I save more the Lord says that when you're faithful in the little then he places you over much. Are you being faithful in the little? So right now with your family, if you don't have a family, hold on to someone next to you because you have friends in this house. I ask you to raise up your voices. You woke up for war this morning because you came to this place. You woke up for, for war this morning because you're here and you're not going to leave here with empty hands. So I ask you that in this time, that you worship, but that you worship like the freedom of your family depends on it.